Welcome back, everyone, to We Heart Therapy. You're watching EFT Talk, and I'm your host, Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as EFT, certified EFT therapist here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And today we have a very exciting guest. Some of you may recognize her from some previous videos and from trainings in emotionally focused therapy. We have Dr. Zoya Semohotskaya. She mm -hmm. is a licensed marriage and family therapist as well as a certified EFT supervisor and trainer in New York City. And she has agreed to talk to us today about the true difference between withdrawers and pursuers. Thank you so much, Zoya, for being a part of our program. You're very welcome. My pleasure. It's so good to be with you again, even if at a distance. <laughs> Excellent. Thank goodness for technology these days. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What did we do before, right? <laughs> yeah. So let's talk to everyone a little bit about pursuers and withdrawers. Because I know that there are some clear-cut differences that everyone can sort of recognize, but then there's some times where it's maybe not so obvious and we can get easily confused. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes those differences between pursuers and withdrawers can get blurred a little, especially maybe when you see a extroverted withdrawer and mm -hmm. some people may think, Oh, that's really a pursuer. So can you help us understand a little bit more about the differences? Sure, sure. I guess where I want to um, back up a bit and um, remind us why do we want to know? Why is it even important, right? What, mm -hmm. what is our goal in this? And mm -hmm. I think um, we are trying to get a sense of these interactional patterns, right? And we're mostly trying to understand what drives, right? What drives the um, shutting down or pulling away? What drives the pursuit and ang in the anger or demand or criticism, right? What's, what's underneath that? What are the primary emotion, attachment-related emotions that actually drive those behaviors? That is more important than deciding whether someone is a pursuer or someone is a withdrawer, right? Um, it helps us. It helps us make sense and put the positions on the cycle and have our little map that um, we, we like. Um, but m the real reason we're, we're tracking and trying to understand is because we do, we are trying to access the underlying emotions and attachment uh, fears and needs to help people express them and be more vulnerable and own their experience and do something different, right? right. So if we keep that in mind, um, we can explore, right, what we're paying attention to, who is protesting or pursuing for connection, right? Mm -hmm. We're beginning to hear um, in the demand or in the anger, in the criticism, there is an intention, the motivation of, I'm trying to get through. I'm trying to um, feel connected again, or I'm protesting against the disconnect, right? I don't want to be abandoned. That's sort of the typical pursuer, right? Mm -hmm. And for the typical withdrawer, it's about the sense of safety, 
right? I want things to be safe. I want to protect myself. I want to protect the relationship. I want things to calm down and be calm because in the calmness, in the safety is when I can connect, mm -hmm. right? It's not like withdrawers don't want to connect. We have to remember right. that, right? Um, so that's the, our classic, typical mm -hmm. pursuer and withdrawer, right? And then we, as you mentioned, we can get um, a partner who is funny and extroverted and they talk a lot and they're very expressive, mm -hmm. right? And yet we don't, often don't quite get a sense of what, what is it they're upset about, mm -hmm. right? Um, they can give us like, sometimes talk about the people who are very smart. I mean, here we're in New York, we got, I, I joke that I, I'll take a fireman or carpenter anytime over a lawyer or a <laughs> psychologist is one, um, because they can be very educated and intellectual and yet they cognitive, that's right. And they can use that again, in the in the pursuit of defending themselves mm -hmm. or feeling feeling safe right part right. as part of their withdrawal mechanism and That's i love right. how you say that because i've often had a lot of withdrawers come in and they do this uh we always got to be positive you know and they want to shut down the negative and they'll tell their partner you're always looking at the negative let's just be positive and for them it's like we got to keep it positive just so we can keep the peace and everyone's happy and there's, you know, but exactly. you find underneath they're really just avoiding their true emotions. Right. Which is, that's what we're actually interested in. Mm -hmm. Why it's so important to keep things positive and peaceful mm -hmm. because when it's not, what's the danger, right? Mm -hmm. Uh Oh, a relationship is in trouble mm -hmm. or I'm going to feel I screwed up again in her eyes over and over she sees me as the bad guy right and it's not fair or it's feels really bad that i keep failing so i'm gonna try to keep the peace and say let's not talk about it it's gonna be let's look at the bright side right what's the intention what's the motivation because as we get into the motivation then we have more access to the feelings right what is it like to feel like you're always failing in your partner's eyes right that doesn't feel very good right. um then we have so let's let's you know be be fair and talk about um some pursuers who get quiet and withdraw mm -hmm. right so behaviorally they're withdrawing but i often um when i train i say you see the same behavior. They say, we both went to our separate rooms and that was the end of the fight. Mm -hmm. For me, that's not the end. Then I'm curious, so what happens for you when you're sitting there all alone in your room, mm -hmm. right? I want to know what the experience is like. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes for the pursuers, you will hear, you know, they're not happy sitting alone in the room mm -hmm. and they're part of them is hoping he'll come back or she'll come back and knock on the door. 
Mm-hmm. And so when I hear that, even in the first session, then I say to myself, right, so that's more of a pursuit. This is the intention is still while I withdrew to stop the fight, but I'm still hurting and I still want to resolve it. And sometimes I get the sense that protesters will withdraw as their form of protest to see if they can That's get the right. Almost like a test. Will you come after me if I pull away? Exactly. Exactly. Right. But once again, what's the intention of that? What were you hoping for? Right. I'm, I'm more likely to ask, what are you hoping for? Mm-hmm. You know, that he'll finally get the point and, and talk to me. Mm-hmm. Right. So you still want him to talk to you. Right. Right. Um, then I think where people also uh, get confused about defensive withdrawers. Yes. So when two people are fighting, the attack-attack kind of cycle, mm-hmm. you also need to look who is attacking because they want to get through, mm-hmm. they want to be heard, they want to be understood, they want to get a response, and who is attacking to and the conversation. Right, to get the other person to back off. Exactly, exactly. If I hurt you enough, you'll go away and leave me alone. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Um, I'll give you an example. This is something that really stayed with me. This was many years ago. I was working with a couple, and challenging couple, both had histories of trauma. Mm-hmm. And I, um, in my perception he was a very classic intellectual withdrawer who would always want to explain and kind of give give reasons and calm things down and she was very emotional uh, pursuer who would get easily upset she had lots of trauma and then one day we're exploring an incident and during the incident during the fight she locked herself in the bathroom and they were sort of like screaming for, uh, she was inside he was outside and somewhere in the middle of that conversation it suddenly hit me and I say I said to him wait a minute wait a minute so when she would scream at you from behind the door you would feel that she's still trying to engage with you and you wanted to resolve the issue. Mm-hmm. And he said, yes. Mm-hmm. And I turned to her and said, but when you were screaming inside the door, you were hoping that he would stop coming after you. Mm-hmm. He would leave you alone. Mm-hmm. And my whole perception of the case in that moment shifted because mm-hmm. I finally was able to see how much of her screaming or her explosiveness was out of fear and wanting to shut down. But he would see it as, oh, it's not over yet. There's a chance I can talk. Right. Right. Um, Let's see. Um, The other um, situation where people get confused is you said the extroverted withdrawers and I was thinking shy shy pursuers mm-hmm. or soft pursuers who yeah. can be quite quiet or um, easily give up mm-hmm. uh, and it can look like withdrawal mm-hmm. but at the same time if we 
listen to the to the music of their unhappiness there is a fear there's like i i don't want to make things worse but i'm still i'm still not not happy mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. yeah so do you find that that equally or that it's possible that even pursuers might not always be really feeling their emotion even though they may be more expressive in in protesting they're also not always feeling their emotions, which sometimes can make them look like a, per, a withdrawer. Right? Exactly. Absolutely. I, yeah, I think uh, there might be some disagreements among, even among trainers, you know, some, some might say when they're sitting with someone who has a lot of emotion and can express themselves, they're more likely to be a pursuer. Um, but I, I don't know that it's always true. Mm -hmm. um, I think someone can be very expressive and yet have lots of difficulty accessing a more vulnerable emotions, mm -hmm. right? So, so I think... Be a withdrawer in, the, in that case? It depends. Mm -hmm. it, I think we need to know, what again, what the motivation is, mm -hmm. right? So... I. We're looking at both the behavioral moves mm -hmm. and the intentions and emotional moves. Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, 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 let's—I mean, let's stereotype a little bit. But I mean, I see gay couples, and it, it can be the same. But let's say a man is pursuing for sex or for physical proximity. That does not make them a. Uh, emotional pursuer mm -hmm. right so we're we're still going to explore um even that proximity is about you know i want to yes i want to be close to you but i feel safe this is this is how i know to feel safe this is how i know um when we're together but what happens for me when i'm in distress mm -hmm. right what happens when our relationship is in distress do I try to keep things kind of quiet and okay and placate, right? That's another way of withdrawing. I'm trying to make it better. I'm trying to bring you flowers. I'm trying to be a nice husband. Mm -hmm. But I don't actually talk to you about how upsetting it is to me when you're upset with me. Right. So it sounds like what you're saying so I, I sort of hear two things two important mm -hmm. things and, and help me if i've got this right so it sounds like sometimes we get confused because we're interpreting maybe the difference between pursuer and withdrawer based on the behavioral responses and mm -hmm. we're not we need to focus more on the intention which will mm -hmm. really inform which position they are what's the drive the driving motivation behind the behavior Right. And the second um, is that when things are soft and peaceful, sometimes even withdrawers will, you know, seem like they're pursuing, but we're really more after what happens when they're in, in distress. Is their inclination to move toward and resolve or shut down and pull away and get safe? Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um. And then we have couples um, who switch on you, mm -hmm. right? 
um, especially those with trauma histories, um, both kind of their, their own childhood traumas and maybe in this relationship. And you might be, you know, sitting in the, in the room and you know their cycle and you're kind of doing your thing and tracking and then something happens or the topic switches and suddenly the one who is typically very expressive and talks about the fear of abandonment and loss of connection suddenly shuts down and says, I can't, I can't, I can't talk and I'm fine. And I just want enough already. Mm -hmm. Right. And the other one is actually quite upset about the particular topic. Um, we have to be prepared for that. And I think it sometimes can shake us up and we get confused and we try to say, no, 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 no. Usually you don't do it this way. Usually you do this. And we try to get them back to our cycle. Right. But I think what's more important, you want to work with the emotion, the attachment related emotion that's most alive in the room. Mm -hmm. And so if in that moment, a person uh, client is feeling some kind of danger and risk and they're shutting down, I want to work with that. I want to understand what that danger is, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's the traumatized clients. Right. And then sometimes we have clients who don't have many traumas and they might be health, healthier or, you know, there's more secure, mm -hmm. and which means flexibility, so they, on the topic of parenting, she's a withdrawer and he's a pursuer. But then on the topic of the, I don't know, religion and in-laws, it switches. So there's kind of flexibility. I think the difference between those two sets is as a therapist with traumatized couples, I feel more um, confused and disorganized. Things are going to happen very quickly. Mm -hmm. So can you, can you tell us some, maybe some uh, common markers of a withdrawer or a pursuer? And I've heard some, and one of the most common I've heard is that uh, withdrawers are afraid of never being good enough. Mm -hmm. But I've had a lot of pursuers have that same feeling. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to me, I take that one with a grain of salt because I've had a lot, a lot of pursuers feel like I'm never good enough and that lead that informs their protest, right? Because they want right. to be good or on some level they feel like they're good enough. Pakam, you don't agree that I'm good enough, right? Right, right. <laughs> but what are what are some some telltale signs that we have a pursuer or a withdrawer? Hmm. I'm, I'm finding myself being reluctant to answer that question. Sure. And I wonder why. Um, <laughs> because I, it's not always a one size fits all, right? Right. That's number one. And number two, um, I really want EFT clinicians to be less interested in putting someone into that box right. and more follow the follow the emotion. So the, mm -hmm. like the, let's take the example you gave a uh, mm -hmm. pursuer who says, I'm, I don't feel good enough. Mm -hmm. Right. Give, give me some more. Give me, um, tell me again. 
play play that person for a moment. Okay, so you know, like I'm I'm the most you know I'm your wife. I should be the most important person. And but why you know everything I do, like I never get credit for it. I just feel like nothing I ever do is good enough, and I just I don't understand why. You know? Right, nothing I ever do for you is good enough. I want to be good enough for you. I want to be good enough for you. So you want to spend time with me. So you would want to be close with me. Mm -hmm. Right. It's so frustrating. You're saying, how come you don't see me as good? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So as I'm trying to, as I'm beginning to follow it, the sense I get, it's not really about, I'm failing you and that feels really bad. I'm mad at you that you see me as bad. Yes, yes, yes. Right? That's good. That's a big differentiation because I have found more with, with jars is that it does feel really bad to feel like I'm failing you versus the I'm mad at you that you don't see me as good enough. Exactly. Even exactly. though the words on top, the superficial words that they use may sound the same, like I never feel good enough, the motivation is much different. Exactly. You yeah. got it. Exactly. So that sounds like really the, the big takeaway from this is not to get, and, and it is important mm -hmm. to know because as part of EFT, we have to know mm -hmm. who we need to engage first and who we need to soften, you know, so that's important, but it seems like you know, not getting so stuck with right off the bat studying the behavior and saying, okay, based on this behavior, this person must be the pursuer and this person must be the withdrawer. Right. Slowing it down and going deeper and looking underneath into the real motivations behind the behavior, which will really tell you if they're a pursuer or withdrawer. Right. And we'll, again, what, what is the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is to access those attachment related primary emotions and lead to sharing and vulnerability that is our ultimate goal right i think the other the other um situation where people get confused they sometimes confuse the attachment styles or strategies of a particular person to positions in this relationship that's really important too. Can you tell us more about that? Sure, sure. Um, I like to give an example of a client, actually individual client I worked with. He was a young gay man. And um, he came in because his sister was very concerned that um, he's spending too much time doing social gaming. And literally he would work all night in, tech, in IT and then spend the rest of his waking hours playing social games. But he wasn't sure if he had a problem. So we, you know, we explored that. Mm -hmm. And at the time, he was in a relationship. And when he would describe the relationship, it was very clear that that person was pursuing him and he was quite avoidant and withdrawing. And in general, as you can imagine, somebody who's spending a lot of time on, with technology and avoiding human interactions, we would say they have more avoidant attachment strategies. Mm -hmm. uh, he came back, we did a piece of work and he came back a couple of days later and this time he was in a new relationship. But that person was even more avoidant than he was. Mm -hmm. And what he described that in this relationship, he became a pursuer, mm -hmm. right? So for us, 
yes, we're paying attention when we do attachment history. What is the general stance when I'm in distress? What is my go-to coping strategy, right? Is it more on the avoidance spectrum or more on the um, anxious, ambivalent kind of spectrum? But what matters more is what happens in this relationship when there is a distressing moment, mm-hmm. right? What is the dance between these two people? Even mm-hmm. if the rest of his life he's more of a uh, with, withdrawer and avoidant, but in this relationship his partner is withdrawing even more, and right. so he gets very anxious and begins to pursue. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. It's a really good distinction and it, I was just thinking of a client I have who, in their cycle, protests, but she very much withdraws very often. And it's not even like, and maybe sometimes I feel like it's like that, that I give up super easily, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'll protest and if you don't go for it, then it's like, forget it, forget it. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. she shuts down and pulls away and just wants mm-hmm. to be by herself. And sometimes that gets confusing. You're like, okay, are you pursuing? Are you withdrawing? But, you know, initially that brief initial instinct is I'm going to protest to get connection with you. Because some some protesters have a very short, you know, fuse between I'm going to protest for your connection. If you don't give it to me, then I just, you know, shut down and pull away and feel safe because that rejection, that abandonment right. is too, too painful. Exactly, exactly. I'm trying to protect myself from feeling even more pain. Mm -hmm. Because if I keep pursuing, then I would feel more disappointed versus a different kind of pursuer that um, the sense of helplessness and giving up is too upset. It's like too painful, too overwhelming. So they're the being able to do something, right? To keep going is energizing and at least they feel like I'm doing something. Right. I'm fighting for the relationship rather than just fighting to protect myself, to fend off danger. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's oftentimes what it might feel like is one person is fighting for the relationship to not have it fall apart while the other person more takes a stance of I'm trying to fend off danger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. I'm trying to fend off danger um, by keeping, right. right, by keeping things safe. Yes. Right. And calm and peaceful. And calm and peaceful. Positive. <laughs> That's right. But my ultimate intention is I don't want anybody to feel bad. I want us to be okay. Right. right? And I don't want to feel like a failure in your eyes right right mm-hmm. we don't want anyone to rock the boat <laughs> it's scary when the boat is rocking yes. <laughs> it's pretty scary right and and because i've never had experience of anybody helping me with my fear mm-hmm. right it doesn't occur to me that i can even notice and say i am scared right that is our job as eft therapist to say wait a minute wait a minute here you are working so hard to keep everybody safe and yet inside right. that doesn't feel very good and nobody knows about that. Right. That's really good. And it's hard to imagine letting your guard down and having your partner protect you. 
yeah, if nobody's ever done that for me, why, why would it even occur to me? Exactly. Exactly. Right. That's really good. I really love that. That's really good. Well, thank you so much, Zoya, for You're joining welcome. us today. Is there, is there any last important pieces about this topic that you feel are important to mention before we wrap up? I guess I would, uh, again, gonna are in risk, right? It's about repeating, so I'm gonna repeat again. It's less important what position the person has, and it's more important as you're in the room and working with them to explore the motivation, the intention, the attachment-related emotion. That is ultimate our goal, to be able to connect that to our behavioral strategies. Right, and so you may not be able to get a clear picture, accurate picture of the pursuer or withdrawer until you get to that point. It, it's quite possible, right. And I would encourage, you know, which happens anyway, as EFT therapists, notice what, what happens for you, right? How sometimes you might pursue and sometimes you might withdraw and what might trigger that. Mm -hmm. So pay attention to that, and that will, that will yeah. be a, would be a good learning. Good self of the process. therapist, which can help you get into the shoes of the client. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's so wonderful. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. This. We really appreciate your time. And My pleasure. You know, again, everybody, make sure that if you're in New York, you watch out for Zoya's trainings. She also, she's also going to be at the EFT Summit in San Diego mm -hmm. this year. Right. And she runs trainings all across the country and the world, actually. So make sure that you look her up and, and attend some of her trainings. And again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Make sure that you hit subscribe and keep on watching.